a great day to be worshiping with you. Uh, whether you're here right now or you're online, we're really glad that you've joined us. Uh, my name is Lance. If you don't know me, uh, I'm on staff here at Temple Baptist, and I'm filling in for Pastor Doug once again. Uh, he is continuing to share God's word in other places, as well as having some time off with his family. So I encourage you to continue to pray for him uh, this week. So today we're continuing with the theology of God and filling in the blanks about who God is. Over the last few weeks, we've talked about how God is knowable, that he's revealed himself to us, that he's the Trinity, and he's our father and our creator. And last week, God is faithful. And because he's faithful, we can have rest. So this week, we're going to be talking about how God is rest. So my wife and I, we just returned from uh, with some friends uh week before last from South Padre Island. Uh, we had a great time down there. and uh, But we had been counting down the days, like for months. Like, you know, we, we just couldn't wait to go away, to have vacation. Can anybody relate? Yeah, like you, you need that time off. But, you know, most of us are even counting on this time, like, you know, for summer to start so that school's out. And yet, like now we're like halfway through, maybe a little bit more than halfway through. And it's like we don't want it to end. Right. So, I mean, I get it. But we were ready. We had been counting down the days like my wife, too. It's been tough this last year, but we were ready to just hit the beach. And so all of us, though, we're all longing for a break. All of us are longing for a vacation. And what's crazy is even if you haven't yet planned a vacation or you just got back like yesterday, all of us are still longing for a break. Am I right? Amen. So listen, don't let what your body is telling you, you you need to listen to that. And tell you about the most fundamental need in our lives. Having some trouble here. Your longing right now, your desire right now for a reprieve, for a vacation, for a break, is telling you about the deepest need of our souls as a human. And what God is inviting us to hear this morning is that we, that we can never Ever, it can never be ultimately met by a vacation. I'm sitting on the beach in South Padre and that hit me. It would just, I'm ready, we're going back home and I'm ready, I'm ready to already go, you know, I want to come back. Like, are you with me? Have you been there? Like, yeah, it's so, but ultimately, I don't care how, if you go on vacation, I don't care how long it is, I don't care how luxurious it is, I don't care how meticulously planned it is. Like the deepest longing of our soul for rest can never be met by not working for a few days or a couple of weeks. So it, it, but it can't, it just can't be satisfied on the beach, right? It can't be satisfied in the mountains or in Disneyland or in Yellowstone. It just, the, the, the longing in our souls cannot be fulfilled in a few focused days away with our family or 
away from our family. That longing in our souls, God's word is telling it, tells us, can only be found in him, in Jesus. And what I mean by that is the rest that we long for cannot be attained. It cannot be, it can only be entered into. The rest that you long for and I long for cannot be found in something that we do. It can only be entered into because it's not a rest that we can earn or that we can buy. It's only a rest that God himself has already has for us. I'd like for you to look at uh, one of the most powerful, fundamentally powerful passages in the Bible of Scripture uh, in in the Bible this morning. It's going to be in Hebrews uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. And I'll be reading from the ESV. Before we do, though, we have a creed that we do around here that our pastor uh, started a tradition for us. And, and so we say this creed as, uh, as what we believe about the Bible. So if you believe as I do, raise up your Bibles, say it like you mean it, and say it together. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. So I'm going to read this in Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands... Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just to them, just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. For God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day. Today, saying that through David, so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would have not, would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom 
we must give account. That's God's word for us this morning. And I want us to talk about three points I'm going to go on through today. Why we need rest. What is God's rest and how do we enter into it? Number one, why do we, why we need rest is actually a fascinating conversation. Experts say that we need rest more now than any other time in our history. In generations past, you received, uh, you know, uh, it's because our identity is functioning in a different way in this present time. Because in generations past, you received your identity according to your relationships according to you know your community your identity was secured by your place in like a social environment but now your identity has we have come to believe in the chaos of, of our world that has to be earned all right it, it it has to be strived for it has to be purchased so we you know we work our faces off you know for for to accomplish you know, what we play or, or, you know, or how we dress or what kind of media that we can consume, how we spend or how we interact. Everything in our lives is this nervous, frantic drive to build our own identity. And more than any other generation, we need rest. We need rest and we need to hear the true story about the universe and hear the true story about who we are. We need rest because we live in a world that tells us we have to get up and, and work, get up and grind, and, and get up and build, and get up to impress, to create ourselves an identity. Secondly, scholars will talk about the fact that we need rest because of technology. Like because of technology, work is always present with us. And, and, and we are always present with work. Can I get an amen? Right? Like I had someone tell me this week that, you know, that they're, that they're only working part time. But, but nobody, none of his clients know it. Like why? Because the phone is always with him all the time. We are always present at work, and work is always present with us. But technology drives in us a deeper need for rest because it doesn't affect our relationships at work. Technology affects our relationship with people. In the same way that work is all is always with you, your social network actually is also with you. Am I right? But from a very different it's very different from work. Now that you have all that your social network in your pocket, it's not that your friends are always with you and you're always with your friends. It's that your friends are always present with you and we are never present with our friends. Right? I mean, think about this. I don't have a, my phone uh, with me right now, but we, we sit down at the table and we, and we, we place our phones in front of us on the table. And, and, and we denounce, you know, essentially saying that I'm not going to be presently with you because I have to be fully present to this. So any, anybody else weary? Yeah. Anybody else exhausted? 
It's just so much work, so much to impress, so much to know, so much to respond to, so much to fear. I was just reading about this social scientist from MIT named Sherry Tuckle. She read a, wrote a book uh, that was titled, why, are, why We're Asking More of Our Social Networks and Less of Our Friends. And in her book, she writes about the absence of conversation in our lives. Like saying that all we do all day long is just connect, 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 connect. I mean, how many text messages are you guys floating right now as we speak at any given time? Like maybe some of you right now. We connect all day long, we, but we never converse. Our social networks are always present with us, but we are rarely, if ever, present to others. How exhausting is it to be a slave to that phone that we pay increasingly higher prices with less and less service, am I right? Like any, any other reason, you know, another reason that we need rest is because in this desire to build our own identity in this cultural mandate to create who we are, we sometimes, we now use our children as a collateral in that game. So now instead of working and building a better environment for our families, we now, if we're now honest, we use their identities to make a better identity for ourselves. We overparent, we overindulge, we overdrive. I mean, I hear about a nine-year-old, a nine-year-old child getting ulcers because mom and dad won't let it go. And it's this drive in us because we want to make them look right, to perform right. To achieve correctly. And if we're honest, we want them to do that so that we can look proper. I remember when my son was on the flag football team. I think it was like sixth grade, right? I think that's about the time he's in flag football. And he's, you know, like he's not playing for the NFL, he's not playing for the Cowboys. Thank goodness. But the coach was like, hey, we're going to be needing to practice longer uh, through this next couple of weeks because we have two very tough teams that we're going to be on the schedule. So we're going to have to practice, you know, late these next couple of weeks. And I'm like, he's 10. He's like 10 years old. I can tell you what my son was most excited about as it pertained to flag football. Number one, his mouthpiece. Like, you know, you get to put it in the water and it form it to your mouth. Like, that was so cool, right? Number two is cleats. And, and, and number three, the flags themselves. You know, like it had the Velcro on it and it was like... <laughs> That's what he was excited about. Yet we have to practice into the, the late dark, you know, late into the night because we have this two teams that are, you know, up on, coming up on the schedule, right? Like, come on, man. Like, it's absurd. 
What is it in us that's driving us this way? Could we just be honest? Like just take stock in our own hearts and minds for a moment about how many things you have to do in your life. Like how many things you have to keep abreast of, keep up with, engaged with, perform in, you know, to make yourself whole. Like, let me ask you this. This is a tougher question. How badly, how badly would you like to be delivered from all of that? How much would it change you? How much would it change to find rest in the midst of all that? You see, that's what God's inviting us into. Rest for our souls. Like all of these ancient philosophers talk about the kind of rest that's deeper than just getting a good night's sleep. It's deeper than the phone app that's like, you know, under your pillow. You know, like that's that's how we're rolling nowadays is like, you know, we've got technology banded to us underneath our pillow, right? And it's, it's the kind of rest that's deeper still than what the phone app is going to praise you for in the morning, right? The philosopher Augustine says that to be at rest means the body is in a place that it belongs. What if, what if we understood rest as not just as more sleep, Not as not working, not as vacation, but if we understood rest as being in the place that we're designed to be. Being in the place that God created us to be. That's the invitation from the Lord this morning in the scriptures that we just read. To find rest in the already accomplished, already secured Rest of God. You see, we believe that this lie that rest is something like a commodity. Like I have to work for it or labor for it or, or barter for it or and we have to earn it. Am I right? Isn't that the way we think about it? Like it's a commodity. Or, or it's this, this thing that we're trying to get. But see, this, this passage of Scripture tells us that rest is, is not a thing to get or a, comedy, a commodity to purchase. God is rest, and his rest is already secured by himself. That we are invited, not, not to attain, but to enter into. What I, what I wouldn't give that our hearts would just be open right now in this moment. That we would just abandon the lies that we believe about ourselves. That we would abandon the lies that we believe about the universe. That we, we, we would abandon the lies that we believe about rest. And we would enter into the rest of God. So what is God's rest? The author of Hebrews names it for us explicitly in the reading this morning. But in in order to understand that God is rest, it's important to note that the the word rest was used at least ten times in this passage. The word rest is used in several different ways as well. 
I don't know if you saw this, but look at with me at uh, Hebrews uh, ver- chapter four, verse three. Uh, you know, I didn't put it down, but I know it's in verse one as well. It correlates with it as well. But the first way that we see in which the author uses rest, we actually see in verse uh, three there. The rest is used and is referring to Psalm 95. You put that up. Psalm 95. It says, you know, where the, he says, I swore in my wrath as a part of my judgment over you that you would never enter in my rest. He's talking specifically about the promised land. This boundary location that God said to his people, I'm going to give you everything you need and I'm going to place you there in the land of my rest. And when they they rebelled against God and refused to listen and obey, he said, you're not going to enter my rest. So the first use of the of the word rest is used literally as a place of land. But then we see that it's deeper than just a place of land because look with me again at verse 8 of chapter 4. You see, Joshua actually did take the people into the promised land. But he was, he was able to bring them there to this boundaried, you know, geographic location, this place of rest, but he wasn't able to give them the rest that they needed. You see that? That's the kind of rest that's something deeper in the human soul that cannot be supplied for us merely by some simple external reality like geography or economy or people. There's a deeper kind of rest that human beings long for. It's a Sabbath rest. And he tells us that this kind of rest he's talking about has been the kind of rest that God has lived in. Since Genesis 2, 2, God created everything and in, in, in the perfection of his creation, God rested. You got to understand that the author of Genesis wasn't saying and the author of Hebrews isn't referring to that God perfected his creation and then went on vacation. The kind of rest the Bible describes that God has lived in since Genesis 2-2 is not a vacation kind of rest. Nor is, is it like God's just sitting down, like not working at all. In fact, if you read John chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says, My Father has always been working, and I'm working with Him. I'm doing His work right here. Right now. So the rest of God is not a vacation. The rest of God, if I could summarize it for us, is a deep, engaged delight in all that he has made. God's rest is not his absence. It's not his inactivity. It's not laziness. It's not God laying out on the couch. God's rest is his joyful, delighted Present, relational, engaged presence in, in, in the joy of all that he has created. That is the rest of God. He is rest. Jesus is portrayed for us in the beginning of Hebrews, seated. 
It's not a sitting of rest or a sitting of panic or a sitting of fear. It's a sitting of absolute sovereign rule. God completed his creation. He sat down so that he exerts his rule from the position of rest. This is the kind of rest possible only from the God who could say, quoting from Isaiah 46, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. Seriously consider this question right now. What would happen with the anxiety, the fear, the uncertainty, the anger of your life right now if you found rest and refuge in the kind of rest that God's talking about? What would change in you? How would your interactions with other people Change. How would your response to failure change if you entered into the uncontested, ultimate, and perfect rest of God? How would you respond to failure? Let me ask you a tougher question. If you entered into that uncontested, ultimate, perfect rest of God, how would you respond to success? What would your life be like right now if rest wasn't a thing you were chasing or trying to acquire? But rest was something that God himself secured for you and invited you into. What would change? You see, to enter God's rest, the author Mark Buchanan says, to enter into God's rest means therefore we enter into a saving relationship with God. When God becomes our Savior, we, be, we become part of the kingdom in which he so utterly and sovereignly rules over us and for us. And his work in our lives is established even as the writer of Hebrews says of God's work in creation. His works were finished from the foundation of the world. That's Hebrews 4.3. We just talked about. Continue with what Mark Buchanan says. He says, this means that if you have put your faith in this saving God, you've trusted the gospel and in Jesus Christ. So you can now rest. You can see you see, if you could stop worrying about whether or not you have a, you can stop worrying about whether or not you have a place in heaven. You can stop fretting about if you will endure as a Christian. You can stop being afraid of what the world will do to you. You, you can face the prospect of loss in your life, suffering, even death. Because Your God is the God of Sabbath who established his purposes forever from the beginning. Forever from the beginning. Through faith in him, you enter into his rest. 
He's the God who says to us, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans of wholeness, not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. You want to know how to rest this morning? You rest in the saving purposes that God has for you. Point number three, you want to know how to enter his rest? The author of Hebrews tells us right there in chapter 4, verse 1. You enter into God's rest by fearing. You're like, well, that doesn't sound very restful, right? But that's what I'm trying to get out to you. It's not it's a different kind of fear. It's it's not the kind of fear with all the anxiety, all the shame that we carry around. It, it's all balled up inside of you that you feel like you have to to drink away or buy away or exercise away or parent away or perform away. It's not that kind of fear. It's the kind of fear that understands the seriousness of something, the gravity of something. The significance of something. It's the kind of fear that understands what's on the line. Like, it, like it's the kind of fear that would be broadcast if we're about to jump out of an airplane in, in the midst of a military conflict and into the front lines and the captain were to get on to, on the microphone and say, Hey, listen up. This is serious. This matters. You don't want to miss what he has to say. Am I right? Like, you, you see that? You see the fear? You feel like if you, if you didn't hear what he had to say, that there's consequences. Like, I need to hear it. That's how you heed the warnings of the Bible. I, I mean, I don't know why we get all bent out of shape with, with the warning, you know, with the warnings of Hebrews. What is, what's this telling you theologically? You know what this is telling you theologically? It's telling you that God loves you. He cares about you. He wants you to understand that your life is significant. And not by you making it significant, but by you resting in that all that he is in Jesus like, I don't know, honestly, I don't know what I have to do. I don't know what tone that I'm supposed to use to, to express to you how to communicate this to you, the depth of the significance of what God's trying to tell you here. You want to enter into his rest? You have to rightly understand what's on the line. It's your life. It's your life. Like your ability to hear God's word right now is the most significant thing you'll ever do in your life. Or with your life. That's the kind of stuff that's on the line. You want to enter into God's rest? Fear him. And hear his voice. The passage of scripture is shot through an invitation to hear his voice. Hear his voice. And if you hear his voice, trust him. 
trust him. Like there's language all throughout the text here of believe him. It's possible, and it's happening probably right here as I speak. It's possible for some of us to hear the word of God, but not trust it. Like maybe you think like, man, I don't know. There's got to be some kind of angle. You know, like, like you don't have my best interests at mind. You, you don't know what I've been through. There's got to be some of you that are like, I hear you, God, but I'm not able to trust you. You want to experience God's rest, the, the Sabbath of God, then trust him. God is rest. It's not like, well, I can take your word for it, but I'm not really, you know, all the way in. Trust him and obey him. It's not like, you know, wait a minute, I I can have faith in God, but just do whatever I want. No. Like, if you trust him, you'll obey him. It's the word of the Lord to us. And we think, well, well, I can think all this stuff or I can do all this stuff. Like you can say that you find rest in God alone, but then look for rest in alcohol. Or look for rest in narcotics or, or money. Maybe in other people's approval. Like or Facebook or Instagram likes. Like maybe in the things that you have identified, that you identify with, that you're all tied up in. But why not just trust him and obey him? The word of the Lord for you this morning is to hear him. Hear him. Stop making excuses why you're different, why you're unique. Why you, or why you're, you are making some overly political Christian a reason for not hearing him. Hear his word. Rest in him today and obey him. And get this. One of the aspects of our obedience isn't just moral. It's actually telling us to tell true stories about who we are to others. To obey God is to regularly, to consistently, constantly orient ourselves in the narrative of God's creation, God's redemption, and God's rest. One of the reasons, it's one of the reasons why we gather here on Sunday mornings, is just to be reminded of the story of who we are. It's to obey So what has been your rest? It's okay. Declare his goodness, his grace. Hey, in the theme of Hebrews, sin is anything that I look to to be better than Jesus can be. Or any place that I go outside of God himself for rest. Listen, that's not to that's not to throw water on your vacation. Like you should have a blast on your vacation. I know we did. But wake up 
every day of your vacation, declaring the life-transforming truth that God supplies for you, what those days on the beach or in the mountains never can. That's how you enjoy vacation. I'm praying for great time off and great vacations for you guys this summer, but rooted in the truth of his story. I want to invite the band to come back, make their way back up. While they're coming up, I just want to read to you as we close the words of Jesus that were a big part of my life. I can remember it like it was yesterday when I became a Christian in Grand Prairie, Texas. Like God can meet, meet us in the pits of hell, am I right? Like don't be offended, Grand Prairie people. I still live there. And I love it. These words are from Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavily laden. And I will give you rest. See, I was trying to build myself. I was trying to establish myself, trying to secure myself. And he says, I will give you rest. You see, I thought I was supposed to do something for God. He wanted me to just do stuff. But he says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Jesus says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Like our God, our God that we've been talking about through this series, the God that's knowable, that revealed himself to us. He's the Trinity. He's our father. He's our creator of all things. And he's infinitely faithful. He describes himself as gentle and lowly. It says, come to me and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If if you'd let me spend another 30 minutes with you, I'd just spend a lot of time about those words. Those words, how God could speak to you through his word. You can find rest right there in his word. You know, twice uh, in our passages in Hebrews, the author takes us through the Garden of Eden. The first time he does it is when he quotes Genesis 2.2 and says that God has rested from all his works from the foundation of all things. And then he takes us back to the garden in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, where he says this. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. You see, it cuts us up. It exposes you. It leaves you naked. You see that in verse 13. It's not talking about the Bible itself doing this. He's talking about Jesus himself. 
And the only place that we see people naked and, and okay with it is in Genesis, in the garden, where Adam and his wife are fully exposed, fully known, and had complete rest in the presence of God. That's where the author brings us back. But the scary thing is about the, the only way back into the garden, if you know the story, was that Jesus had to die. I talked about this a little bit last week. Jesus had to go where we cannot go. Jesus had to go in that place so that you and I could go back to the place of rest. Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice for your sins and for mine. So that we could re-enter the place of God's rest that he created for us in the Garden of Eden. If you believe that, you're a Christian. If you, if you're, even if you're believing that for the first time, take this as an opportunity and obey him. Trust him and come and celebrate his truth together with us. Jesus did for us everything that we needed but couldn't do ourselves. And he offers us the invitation of his rest. He died so we could rest.